Amen. Well, uh, I was, I was going to start a new series this morning, and uh, I'm not. <laughs> so, uh, you know, God has just kind of put this passage on my mind, and so we'll start a new series in a couple weeks here. Uh, but God has put this passage on my mind here, uh, and really this idea this morning of selfless faith. What does it look like to, to live a selfless faith? I'm not sure why God put that on me, but I really do feel like that before we start this next series, God uh, is wanting to talk to us about having selfless faith. And, uh, you know, I think it's pretty clear through Scripture in a lot of different places, and even Jesus teaching it, Paul is teaching it, that as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be selfless with our faith. You just look in the Gospels, John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's one of the, the last big teachings before Jesus is arrested and taken. He's saying, like, look, it's, this is what we can do. Be, be selfless with your faith. Luke chapter 6, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Mark chapter 12, verse 31, love your neighbor as yourself. You get to Paul's letters, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, no one should seek their own good but the good of others. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Yeah, I could probably go on and on and on about the, the times in Scripture where we are called to be selfless with our faith. We're called to think outside of our own self and take in the interests of other people first. You know, I, I know we've just gotten through a, a, a series of a bunch of parables, the stories that Jesus told. Uh, but this morning, I, I think the, the best way to talk about selfless faith is actually uh, at first to kind of look at this story of Jesus, just an encounter that Jesus had. It's not a story that he told, but it is a story about Jesus, an encounter that Jesus had with, with, uh, with a group of people. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 this morning, uh, Luke chapter 5, starting uh, at verse 17. Uh, again, this is not a parable this week, but it's, a, it's just a telling of an interaction that Jesus had. Um, and uh, as we read it, I want you just to be thinking, how is this a story about selflessness? Just think about, think about how, how, can I, how can I look at this story in the lens of selflessness. I'm sorry I, if you're using a pew Bible. I didn't write down the page this morning. But again, I say this every week. If you need a Bible and you've got the pew Bible, that is yours now. You just take it home and uh, that's yours. But let's read this together. Luke chapter 5, starting at, verse, starting at verse 17. One day, Jesus was teaching. And Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home and praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. 
So, in this passage, there are some familiar faces, right? We see Jesus, which we'll get to in a second. But Jesus is a familiar face in this passage. We also see some other familiar faces, especially after the parable series, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. I have sort of, uh, I almost feel a little guilty because I've been kind of dragging these guys through the mud for the last eight weeks as Jesus was teaching parables. But I want to at least just talk to you about why I was doing that. <laughs> why, why, they, why, why that is. And, uh, you know, these guys, if you remember from a few weeks ago, these were guys who just, they were cocky guys. They just felt like they had it all together. They were kind of God's gift to earth. And they were a gift to God, essentially, right? That's what the Pharisees believed. And, uh, you know, they, it really stemmed from sort of a, a deep place within them. This sense of feeling more righteous and, and, and better than Right, so here's, here's pretty much what happened. The Jews were exiled in Babylon for a long time. When they get back, they begin to realize like their dreams of someday being this great nation that they had always assumed they would be were kind of done. And so, at least for the foreseeable future. right? And so what they began to do was, uh, instead of striving for monetary gain or striving for military power what they did instead uh, they turned to something else they tried to be the ones who could uphold the law the best and what I mean by the law is it's based on the Ten Commandments right, but the Ten Commandments are not necessarily applicable to every situation in life all right the Pharisees didn't necessarily like that. So for a certain section of them, the, the Ten Commandments were not enough. They wanted more than just great principles. They wanted rules to cover every single conceivable situation in their life. And so from the Ten, they proceeded to kind of develop and, and have more, more and more rules. Take, for example, the Fourth Commandment. Right? The Fourth Commandment was remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, it was kind of this, this idea, you know, later it goes on to say that no work must be done, right? But people started to ask, what is work? And so these Pharisees began to kind of outline, this is what work is. And they had this thing called the fathers of work. And basically it was 39 different rules to say this is, this is what work is defined as. So it, it was not just anymore, just, hey, keep the Sabbath holy. It was no, no working on the Sabbath. And by when we need, mean no working, you can't do any of these things. Right, it was just kind of just, they put a lot more structure. They put a lot more kind of unnecessary things in. But it, it wasn't enough even then. Each of those 39 things had their own subdivided things. And it was just kind of, this was called the oral law. And they began to set this even above the Ten Commandments. So even above the Ten they ended up with about 613 laws that they would follow. And they really thought that if they put everything that they had into following these 613 commandments, they would be perfect. And so this starts to make a lot more sense when we talk about these parables and this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector a few weeks ago where he says, thank God I'm not like those people. I, I, I do all these things. I do everything that I'm supposed to do because this is what they thought life was about. This was first and foremost. So we, these are the people, right? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So we have Jesus. We have the Pharisees and teachers of the law. We have this other group that we'll just call the friends. And these, these friends, they want to see Jesus. 
They're not trying like the Pharisees are. The Pharisees, usually when they're with Jesus, are trying to trap him. They're trying to get him to say something that they can, they can go and grab on and kind of uh, pursue that. But they, these guys didn't want to trap Jesus. They, they just wanted Jesus to heal their buddy who was paralyzed. And they know Jesus can heal, so they go. And apparently there are so many people around this house that they can't get in. And you can imagine, if there's that many people around the house, and they've got their friend on essentially a stretcher, right? there's not going to be a whole lot of room to get their friend in. And I can imagine these guys brainstorming. And there's just something about this brainstorming that makes me think, these guys probably aren't that old. I'm not sure the, the prefrontal cortex is fully there. You know, uh, you know they, like, I can just imagine this conversation of, how do we get this guy in? Yeah, I can imagine just the ideas that start to come to mind. Can we just try and get Jesus outside? Maybe he'll do it then. Maybe we, just, maybe we just yell fire. Everybody will clear out and then we can go in. Maybe, maybe we just wait. And then one of them, this is why I think what I think. One of them says, I know what to do. We'll go through the roof. We'll go through the roof. Uh, you know, and, and uh, I just think, you know, these are probably some college kids, you know, like high school college kids that are like, I know what we'll do. We'll just go through the roof. There's a group of people in this house. It doesn't matter. We'll just go through the roof. And so, uh, you know, roofs in these days, it was a little more logical than that, uh, than I'm making it sound right now, because roofs in these days are made out of kind of wooden slats and thatch and dirt and all kinds of different things. Actually, the book of Mark tells a story also. And in Mark chapter two, verse four, it says they dug through the roof. Right, so there's a, it, this is not as unusual as it sounds, but they went through the roof. And you can just think about the, I, I just, I love to think about this because I, I like to think about these stories probably more than, than most. But I just imagine as they're digging through a roof, I, you know not all the stuff is staying on the roof. There's people in the building listening to Jesus. There's people in there teaching. Like, is, does Jesus stop what he's doing and just kind of like wonder what's going on? Are, you can imagine the Pharisees who are trying to listen to Jesus and trap him. And they're thinking like, what is, what is going on here? They're probably, getting, they're probably getting a little mad because who would do this? Not one of us. Not one of us perfect people. We would never dig through someone else's roof. Who would do this? Right, and so you, you've got all this thing. Did Jesus keep teaching? Did everyone stop? And they drop him right in, right in the middle, and it says right in front of Jesus. So back to Jesus at this point. So Jesus sees all of this, sees the paralyzed man, but before he heals him, he says, your sins are forgiven. That just seems a little weird. That's not what he was there for. He was there to, to get healed. Why, are my sin, why, do, why do I need my sins to be forgiven? What's going on here is that Jesus knows his audience. He knows who's sitting in the crowd. Pharisees and teachers of the law. And one of those things that they believed was that if someone was paralyzed and disabled, that it must have been something that they did. There is sin somewhere in the picture. It's either them or it's their parents, but there is sin somewhere in this picture. And there was a, there was a common, that was a pretty commonly held belief. And so to be healed before someone was going to be healed, there was this belief that before that happened, they needed to be forgiven. So the very first thing that Jesus does, he says, your sins are forgiven. He was just 
proving to these guys that he was, in fact, God. He takes their argument, he takes what they're thinking, and just uses it as a, as a way to show them that he really is who he says he is. All right, not only can I forgive, but just so you know that I have the authority to do this, take your mat and, and go home. And he heals him. I think, you know what the coolest part of this story is? I think there's actually two two really cool parts of this story. The first one is I think this story really illustrates for us how free the gift of forgiveness is. It really is. This guy that went in on the mat, he, didn't, he did nothing to earn that forgiveness other than just he was there. It's a free gift of forgiveness and salvation. The second cool part is I think verse 20. And verse 20 just says this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. I want, to, I want you to just catch that, catch that word there. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, this isn't the only time Jesus has said something like this. If you remember, there's a story in Scripture of a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And she comes, and Jesus is walking. He's in a huge crowd. And uh, she just touches his coat. And she's healed. And Jesus, on his way somewhere else, by the way, uh, stops where he is, on his way to do something very important, heal another guy's daughter, stops and says, in this giant crowd, who touched me? Who touched me? His disciples are like, there's so many people here. Why are you you talking about who touched you? Everybody is touching you at this point. But Jesus says, no, someone someone touched me, someone is healed. Finally, this lady comes forward. And he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. But there's a difference between that story and this story. Because in that story, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. In this story, it is their faith. Because of their faith. Now, what's the difference here? I think Jesus intentionally brings in the faith of the friends as well. The faith that he and his friends had. This, I'm sure, it's not just the faith of the friends. Sometimes we we think about that. It's just the the faith of the friends was the the reason this guy got forgiven. But all of their faith. The guy who was paralyzed probably had some faith too. All of their faith. Because of their faith, he was forgiven. And I, I really just think... This is what selfless faith looks like. Believing, as we say all the time, God is who he says he is, and he can do the things that he says he will do. Believing that, understanding that faith, and moving forward in a way that is not just for you, but is in for, the, for the betterment of others as well. Now, you have opportunity every single day to do the same with your friends. I think we need to realize that the power our faith has on the people around us. It has power. We need, when we intercede in prayer, we are letting our faith work for the people around us. When we share Christ, we are using our faith to point people to Him. When you invite others to, to participate in a biblical community called the church here, we're exercising our faith in a, in a life-changing way, pointing, God to other, pointing other people to God. Our faith is not just for us. Our faith is meant to be for others as well. We're called to live a selfless faith, a faith that is willing to do whatever it takes for other people. And this is sort of a a shift in our mind, because no longer are we just people who have received the gospel. 
but we become people who, who reproduce the gospel. When we see our faith as something that is more than just for me, the word does not just stop with us. It spreads through us. So what does it look like to have a faith that is selfless? There's another passage in the book of Matthew that I want to go to. Matthew chapter 9, uh, starting at verse 35. And uh, this one, maybe it's a parable. <laughs> it's probably just as much a parable as a couple other ones we did. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Maybe we're just continuing the stories Jesus told series this morning. I don't know. Maybe that's why Jesus put, maybe that's why God put this on my mind. But when I think about this passage, I think this gives us just a, a little, bit of a, a little bit of a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. If you want a picture of selfless, selfless, uh, selfless faith, the selfless way to live out your faith, you look no further than Jesus. And I think this is a great example of what it is because Jesus, first of all, had compassion. The word there, we've talked about this word a few times, is splankna, which means it's like your guts, right? He, he felt this compassion from the deepest part of who he is. Not just like a, a side compassion or just like a token, like, oh, I feel bad for you. Like, no, it's a, it, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion. And it was from the deepest part of who he was. It was a deep sense of compassion. That's what this word means. And he, he, felt this, he felt this kind of compassion. And he did it for a few reasons, right? It says that he saw the size of the crowds. He saw the way these people were suffering. And he realized that people didn't know him. And because of those things, he felt compassion. And I'm not sure there is a better way, a better blueprint for us this morning to live out selfless faith and to look at these three things. Hey, Jesus sees the sides of the crowds. What is he, what is he doing? He's, he, he, he sees the way that they're suffering. He realizes that they don't know him. I think if we can follow this blueprint, I think we will be well on our way to living a very selfless faith. How can we apply those things today? Well, I think when he sees the size of the crowds, I think for us, we can think about just expanding our worldview. That's what we do here every single Sunday morning when we pray for what God is doing around the world. We're trying to expand our worldview. To understand and to see that God is up to something bigger than what he's doing here in Fresno. God is definitely up to something here in Fresno. But the gospel is bigger than just Fresno. Church is bigger than just Fresno. Right? We need to expand our worldview a little bit. You ever been on a drive? And you just get to this point where typically you're like on the top of a hill. And you just look over the hill and you just see the city lights at night. It's one of the most beautiful things you can see. I remember there's one, uh, there was one in Lompoc that we, when we lived in Lompoc, there was a hill that we would go to. But even just driving on the 101 towards Lompoc from L.A., as you go down into Thousand Oaks, as you go down into the cities over there, there's this, there's this one turn. And when you turn, you just see the valley. You just see the lights. And it's just, it's, it's beautiful. 
It reminds me of even just driving down 41, and you know, 41 onto 180. When you get up there, it's kind of higher than the rest of the city, and you look out, and you're just like, this is all of Fresno. Sometimes I think we just need to, to have that view in mind when we think about the church, when we think about the gospel, when we think about our faith. There are a lot of people in that view who do not know Christ. There are a lot of people who, who need him. And there are a lot of people who have needs that we don't even know about, which is the second thing here. We need to just acknowledge that there is suffering around us. There is so much suffering going on around us, especially post-pandemic. Right? Think about just the loneliness people feel and the depression that people feel, all sorts of things, domestic violence, all kinds of stuff is on the rise still. There is suffering all around us, and we need to have eyes to be able to see that this is true. That we need to be able to see, expand our worldview, acknowledge that there is suffering around us, and understand that hope and that healing are found in Jesus. Hope and healing can be found in Jesus. And the people that we see when we look out over our cities need Jesus. And when we look out, my prayer is that we feel that same sort of deep compassion from the depths of who we are that Jesus did. What's interesting here, though, <clears throat> is that Jesus sees all of that. And I think what he, how he responds is interesting because Jesus himself doesn't just go to those people. The, the next part of that, after he's describing what Jesus is seeing, it doesn't say so Jesus just went out and did this for everybody. Just listen to what he says. Instead, he goes to his disciples and those who are following, and he tells them to pray for laborers. He tells them not just to pray for those people that he's having compassion on, but also to pray for people to go and minister to those people. He tells them to pray for the people who would go out and do something about what he's seeing. That's us. Jesus is praying for us. Right? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We are called to a selfless faith. Jesus sends out his disciples. It's, it's a faith that is willing to do whatever it takes when we see the suffering around us, when we, when we, when we expand our worldview and we see that Jesus is needed in so many different areas. It's, it's a faith that was willing to do essentially anything short of sin to grab onto those people. It's a faith that's willing to cut a hole in the roof over Jesus. To do some amazing, bold, passionate things. Here's a cool little tidbit from the book of Matthew here. Jesus has this prayer, or parable, whatever you want to call it. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The very next passage, the very beginning of chapter 10, is Jesus sending out his disciples. And there's a name change for the disciples at this point. He gathers his disciples, and then we see in verse 2, in chapter 10, these are the names of the 12 apostles. No longer are they just followers of Jesus, which is what disciples really means when we're talking about the disciples. They're apostles. What does apostles mean? Apostles means they are sent out ones. So Jesus says, hey, 
the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We need to pray for workers to be in the harvest. And then he takes his disciples, the ones he has been training, the ones who he's been walking with, and he sends them out to go and to do ministry. And in the same way, Jesus sends us out with, hopefully, a selfless faith that is willing to see and able to see. Give us the eyes and the ears to hear and see what is going on around us, God. Would, you just, would, uh, would we have a, a wider worldview and be able to see what's going on around us, have compassion for what is going on around us in the world? And, and honestly, my prayer is that, we would just, that God would just show us ways in which this week we can live out a selfless faith. How do we live a selfless faith? Because Jesus is sending us out just as he did his disciples. Go. Even just the last words that Jesus says in the book of Matthew. Go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. I'm going to be with you, he says, but go. How do we live this selfless faith this week? My prayer is that God will show you. My prayer is that as you pray, as you continue to pray for Angola and you continue to pray for our kids who are in school, some started last week, some started this week, or will start this week, that God would just show you in your prayer life or even just maybe through a conversation with someone else or something, how to be selfless. What does selfless faith, faith look like for me this week? I'm going to be praying the same prayer. What does selfless faith look like for me this week? What does it look like for you this week? And my hope is that this week, as we are selfless, we will see God move in and through us as he uses us to reach the people he needs to reach and wants to reach. Let's be selfless this week. Let's pray.